Hello, and welcome to We Heard Wonders, the music podcast that's drunk in love. Oh, it's a big, beautiful, bouncy Beyonce week this week, is it not? It is. I'm having deja vu from about five years ago. <laughs> and that was a cracking album as well. If we get anything even about half as good as Lemonade, I think we're in for a treat. Definitely, yep. yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, so we've got the big Beyonce track, and we've also got some new tracks to talk about as well, which is yeah. very exciting. exciting. But we should probably introduce ourselves first. Yes, please. Yeah, well, after you, sir. Yeah, my name is Andrew. I buy records and write about them on kidagh 86 on Instagram. Yeah, and everybody should give Andrew's Instagram a follow. If you like records and you like music and you like witty banter and smart reviews, then you should definitely hit um, hit like on his posts and follow his profile. My name's Ian. I'm in Glasgow band The Deadline Shakes, and you can find us on all the different social media platforms at Deadline Shakes. And I'll tell you somewhere else you could have found The Deadline Shakes this weekend, Andrew. Let Go me on. tell you. It was in my back garden. Smoking Cuban cigars around the fire pit and eating burgers off the barbecue. Oh, that's the way to do it. It was regal behaviour, let me tell you. Absolutely fantastic. Excellent. Yeah, so it was good to good to catch up with the guys and we're just making some plans about um, what to do with our music uh, henceforth. I, I, we, we started the band planning part of our evening on Saturday around about 2.30am. Um, right, okay. You know that's the moment. That's when, when all the best plans get made. All the best plans get hatched. So, um, so yeah, we were we were meeting up to do that, and uh, and just instead just just drank Boddingtons and chatted shit for several hours. But it was all good to see them. So, um, shout out to those guys. And uh, awesome. as you say, we've got a, a busy old busy old podcast of new music this week. Has anything caught your eye apart from Beyonce, obviously, which we'll get to? Has anything caught your eye this week in terms of music stories or or anything like that? Um, I was just reading about the the Fortet story today, um, and the kind of the legal disputes that he's been in with um, his former record label Domino, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's always a bit sad, like to see artists in dispute with labels that you you, gen- you generally like as well. Like I, you know, I've, I've been a big fan of. Domino's music over the years, yeah. and I'm a big fan of Fortet, and you just, you just want everybody to get on. Can't we all just be friends? Yeah, so it relates to uh, the contract that, that Hebden, uh, Kieran Hebden uh, Fortet signed with Domino in 2001, mm. and uh, streaming services weren't a thing then, so any any royalties that he was making uh, were related to his physical sales. But of course, when you when you factor in streaming, um, he discovered that Domino were just applying that physical rate, which is eighteen percent, um, you know, to 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 his royalties, um, and it was argued in court that a reasonable amount would be fifty percent. Um, so so that's what he was kind of pushing for, and um, so he's pushed for it and he's won. So he's he's won about fifty seven thousand pounds. Good uh, from Domino. Well, I was just, I, I was just when we were uh, briefly chatting about this earlier on. I was just trying to take it from a, you know, a kind of practical point of view. Where I assume now, I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine that the the major artists in the world, the very, very like the one percent of artists in the world, like your Taylor Swift and Beyonce and Drake, etc., who have dominated the streaming sites for years now, or streaming platforms for years. I assume that they that they negotiate a deal. Um, with these streaming sites, where they say, you know, if you mm-hmm. don't pay me, a, if you don't pay me X per per stream, um, then I'll just remove my content from your from your streaming platform and go somewhere else. 
Um, and that, I presume, is a, a delicate negotiation because, of course, if you remove yourself from, like, Spotify, say, um, you do limit yourself there because Spotify is probably the most kind of well, well-known well streaming platform, for example, although there are others, of course. So, um, but I imagine, like, with Forte, I mean, that's, you know, potentially nearly, what, 20 years worth of streams of of that project's music? Um, or, you know... Yeah. Give, give uh, take Domino would actually... Yeah, sorry, Domino would actually like, removed three of his really big albums as well. So there's pause rounds and everything that started, which are three of his as if three of his most kind of celebrated records, and they'd taken them down, maybe thinking that, you know, the more the more music that's out there, the more money he's gonna we're gonna have to pay out here. So yeah, it just seems a strange way of doing business oh, and hold on, did they did they pull them down? Anticipating they would have to pay out on the the, the lawsuit, do you think? I think so. I th- I, that's that's the impression I get. Well, that so is was, so. It was towards shit. the end of last year. <laughs> that is crap. That is really bad. If that is the case, and obviously we don't. I mean, you know, there's an extent to which we've we've had a quick glance at this. We don't know the ins and outs of it. But if that is the case, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely awful. No, totally. And there's another thing as well. So, he, so he's won this uh, money, but they still actually own the copyright for uh for his back catalogue. That's um yeah. so so that is a kind of life life of copyright deal that he's that he's um involved in. And it's just mad that in this day and age that those kind of dodgy dealings are still going on. You hear about bands in the sixties selling these kind of I don't know, fifteen album year contracts and that kind of thing. And yeah. But you kind of you feel that when you hear about boy bands and things being exploited, but you, you kind of think that it's a thing of the past. But these types of deals are still being pushed on new bands who are obviously kind of desperate to, to get a start. Yeah, I don't mean to put pressure on you here, right? Because there the definitely is a fairly major artist whose name temporarily escapes me, who um, the Beatles, um, specifically a Paul McCartney song, um, did kind of copy a certain part of, of a very popular song. I can't remember that, who the artist is, but the... Um, they, they asked, you know, can I have a songwriting credit or um, can I be compensated for this or whatever? And part of the compensation package was having McCartney play on one of their tracks as a, as a sort of payback. Um, and probably, the, the, you know, if it was today, they might be due um, a significant portion of money. Who was the artist? I can't even remember the Beatles song I'm talking about. This is a real thing. I'm not making this up. Like, this is a, this is a thing. Um, is that something you know about? Or have I you uh, no, I, I think I would need a little bit more information than that. Yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to promise <laughs> I'm going to promise I'll go away and work out what that is, and I'll come back later and, and fill us all in. But um, yeah, there's also uh, on related news as well the Ed Sheeran um, uh, lawsuit, which uh, has kind of concluded as well, and he was awarded um, was it nine was it nine hundred thousand pounds in damages um, because someone had claimed that the song "Shape of You." Um, which was also partially written by one of the guys from um, Snow Patrol. I didn't realise that was a thing, but it is. Um, uh, the sort of ooh-wah bit, you know, the bit ooh-wah, ooh-wah, ooh-wah. Someone had claimed that was a copy of another track. Right. Um, but Ed Sheeran was able to, to successfully argue that he'd never heard of this other artist and never heard the song before and that any any similarity was just just incidental. Um 
And I actually had heard Ed Sheeran on the radio um, when he when he won if won the the thing a few weeks ago. I think the amount of damages was only announced today, but the actual suit concluded a few weeks ago. I heard him saying something which I I actually believe is generally true, which is that if you think like some people think music is like infinitely complex, and that you know you know it's possible to 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 make any type of music and sound like anything. But if you're working within a particular genre, you've basically got you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, and G to work with, um, and the various minors and majors and, and so on. But you, it's not, it's not an infinite palette you're painting with, and there will be times when, deliberately or otherwise, you you do create something that sounds like something else. It's just sort of inevitable. I kind of agree with that, to be honest. No, I agree with that as well. Um, yeah, there was a, there was a there was a cool quote from Elvis Costello uh, last year when it was that when somebody kind of suggested that uh, one of Olivia Rodrigo, Rodrigo's tracks um, was very similar to his track, Pump It Up, and he basically just said, that's how rock and roll works. He says, you take the broken pieces of another frill and make a brand new toy. Um, so I think that's I think that's a, a cool way of looking at it. Wow, Elvis Costello. Who knew he was a wordsmith, eh? Oh, probably quite a lot of people, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, last, the last thing to do with... Um, you know, publishing rights and that kind of thing. Uh, Kate Bush, I'd seen a quote from her uh, about her. Um, you, know, you know, her track's finally gone to number one this week. And, uh, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I saw a tweet and the tweet was saying that she owns 100% of its songwriting, publishing and licensing rights. So in the last couple of weeks, she's been making uh, a quarter of a million pounds a week on that track. On streaming, wow. Yeah. And so probably that's the well, way to the, do it. The residual, uh, the residual plays of the following tracks on her top five tracks on Spotify as well will probably not be an insignificant amount of money either. So, um, good on her. I mean, I think she's a bit of an individualist and always has been, obviously. So she's uh, clearly at some point in the past prioritised owning her own stuff and not yeah. letting other people get it. There's a horrible moment if you're an artist, and I've I've never really been in this position myself, but. I know people who have been in this position where, um, you know, you're, you're you're playing gigs in you know in tiny venues to ten folk, and then you're getting a little bit of traction and things are things are going well. Um, you know, and you, you get noticed and someone offers you a contract. I mean, yeah. In in some ways, that's dream fulfillment. Like that's you having the opportunity to then go and like now you're a real. You're a real band or a real artist now. Um, go and make us an album and all that sort of stuff. But um, you know the potential to get locked into a sort of fortet type situation is, is definitely. I bet you've been fortet was offered that uh, contract in two thousand and one. They were like, "This is the big thing. This is Domino. Like this yeah. is." Well, ultimately, fortet's had the last laugh, and I think it would be fair to say he's had Domino chapping. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really sorry about the quality of that pun, everybody. Jesus Christ, been a long day. Um, right, so we've, we've, we've. That was actually. I'm surprised. I'm surprised we went into that in so much depth, actually. But yeah, it is quite a significant uh, topic. The old deals and publishing rights and who gets paid and, and all that sort of stuff. It's the the business side of the music business, isn't it? It is. So let's get let's get into some of the music, though. Yeah, let's get into the rock and roll. So who have we got today? 
So we've got Antiflo with Sarah D. Corvar. Yes. We've got Beyonce. Wax <laughs> Wax Machine. Yes. Muna. Yes. And Neymar Bok. Very good. Yep. So we've got five spanking new tracks, and then of course we will round off today's podcast with your uh, vinyl word. Um, so without too much uh, further ado, shall we just burst straight into this first track? So this track is called Pa, um, and it's by Anti Flow and Sarathi Korwa. Here we go.
Pa by Sarathi Korwar and Anti Flo. Um, so Andrew, I was doing a little bit of uh, internet research on uh, these two artists, DJs, um, and uh, so Anti Flo's a DJ, but I see that Sarathi Korwar is a percussionist, and obviously I think percussion is quite a significant portion of what makes this track what it is. Um, are these two working together? Is this something they've been doing for a while, or is it just for this project? Or, or what's the deal? Um, I believe they've done a few little things together, but this is the this is the kind of the, the biggest statement that they've made together so far. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so um, Anti Flow is a Scottish going producer and DJ, and Sarafi Korwar is a London-based Indian-raised drummer and composer and percussionist, as you say. Yes. And, um, yeah, I think they, they kind of recognise that they, they kind of combine electronics with a lot of global influences. Mm. Um, and, yeah, they've described this project. So this is, this is a track from their just-released album called Shruti Dances, and they've described it as an explorative journey through South Asian tonality and diasporic identity Oof, right. um, which I like um, and yeah so it's kind of combining the electronica that, that we kind of know uh, with anti-flow yes. and uh, the kind of that kind of drone that, that's going all the way for this track um, and then you've got the kind of the classical Indian uh, percussion and tabla rhythms from Korra and uh, yeah I, th- I think it Works really well. Um, so Ashruti is the most revered body of sacred literature in Hinduism, uh, considered to be the product of divine revelation. Um, so they're kind of right. Jeez. So they're kind Maybe. of playing with some kind of lofty things here. Yeah. Um, and I guess it's that kind of idea of when does uh, something kind of meditative and trance-like become something uh, transcendental? I guess, mm. which is what they're kind of going for here. So I really like it when the bass kicks in this track and it kind of takes it from the meditation mat into the into the rapture of the dance floor. Yeah, I think that works really, really well. Wow, you've really... Wow, what a lovely phrase, turn of phrase that was, Andrew. Not that you're not in, <laughs> inclined to a lovely turn of phrase, but Jesus Christ, wow. Uh, yeah, I'd agree 100% with you. I think knowing that um, Sarathi Korwar is a, is a percussionist, is a drummer, um, helps make a lot of sense to this track because obviously the... The anti-flow element of the track is the 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 digital, you know, the the sort of um, you know the sort of more kind of electronic element of it, yeah. and then the, but there's also a, a there's also clearly a kind of uh, non non computerized part here, a warmth to this as well. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it's really the the introduction of the bass drum, the four four that that. Um, that lets the track take off. I did. I do find the first half of it quite welcoming, though, and quite um, enticing as a piece of music. Uh, Very, the whole track has a lovely warmth. Yeah, you can just get it. lost inside the fuzz yeah. of that drone at the start. It's lovely. It's lovely, and it's it's a nice. Um, it's very, very nicely structured as a piece of dance music as well. I do think it has a very logical um, and satisfying progression, and. Um, I think as if we're talking about the bass drum, I think it comes in at the right moment, um, and it does the sort of 
it, it does the stuff, it does the right stuff at the right time. Um, so I would say that although this is a fairly sort of, to me anyway, I, I'm, I'm not aware of having listened to like a drummer and a, and a DJ collaborate like this, but it seems like it works out as you might expect in a way. Um, and I think that's a good thing. So it's got the warmth of the acoustic instruments and so on, but it's also got the, the dancier elements and the sort of more tightly timed elements of dance music as well. So it feels like a kind of nice, a nice combo of two, two kind of different musical worlds in a way. Um, so I did, I did very much enjoy this at five minutes. I think that's about right for this type of track. I think this is something that could easily seep into the eight, nine, ten minutes repetitive thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's just just right. Um, I'd have to listen to the whole album. I think there is an album uh, going along with it. So um, yeah, I mean the album's only the album's only six tracks and it's just around half an hour. So that doesn't outstay its welcome either. Wow, that's perfect, isn't it? Really? Yeah, and it's got some nice kind of peaks and troughs in it. So it does feel like a nice little journey. That that's so. like um, that's almost like, you know, going to a club or something and seeing like a a guest DJ set or something. Someone showing up for thirty minutes doing their stuff and then moving on kind of thing. It's, that's almost what it's like. So, um, well, that's cool. Yeah, so a great start this week. I think. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd recommend people, especially our Scottish listeners, to uh, check out Anti Flows. Uh, album Radio High Life, which deservedly won the Say Award in 2019. I, album, album I year. knew I'd heard Flow before, yeah. and I hadn't pieced it together until you said that. There, yes, I recognise the name from the from the the Say Award. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. And while we're doing recommendations, uh, Sarafi Korar was involved in an excellent uh, jazz funk project this year as well called Flock. Uh, out in Strut Records that I'd recommend as well, which was really, really Right, okay, cool. I'll take your recommendation, Andrew. So next, we're moving on to budding indie hopeful um, Beyonce. Um, and I think it's I think it's, uh, I think it's fair game. We've done it before, Andrew, haven't we? When we've listened to Lana Del Rey or we've listened to Adele, where we're taking something which is obviously very mainstream, which lots of people will be listening to, and we're just going to give our thoughts on this so this is Beyonce's first new track and did you say five years um I well it's it's the the first track from her first studio album in six years so yeah she did a collab album with Jay-Z a few years ago I think yes she's had a she's had a collab album with Jay-Z she had the homecoming live uh, album and uh concert which was just incredible Yes, I was uh, at this, that actually at Hamden, were you? Oh well, no, no, no. no. Very jealous. Yes. Um there was the soundtrack for The Lion King as well as the the video album Black is King. But oh, so yeah. she has been busy, but yeah, this is our first big kind of statement album since Lemonade, so it's a biggie. All right. Well, on that note, here we go. So this is uh, Beyonce's first new track in ages and it's called Break
And the track was Break My Soul, the first piece of new music from her upcoming album Renaissance, which is out on July the 29th. Yeah. Now, I think I'm going to come right out the gate here and I'm going to say that I think Beyonce, for, for one reason or another, can at times be lumped in with, oh, it's just it's just kind of pop music or it's just kind of R&B stuff. Like, this maybe isn't worthy of, of critical attention or whatever. But um, if that is the case, if you do feel that way, then you absolutely must reevaluate what you think about Beyonce. Um, her her record from a few years ago, Lemonade, is just simply unbelievable. Like it's just a, a statement of pain and heartache and relationships and so on. And it, it has the odd misstep on it as well. I don't think every track is absolutely perfect, but it's 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 haunting in a way and, and powerful that 
Um, uh, you know, and this is, um, I think there's a cleverness to this track in a number of ways that I'm sure we'll get into. So, Andrew, did, did you enjoy Break Missile? I like it. I do like it. I don't think it's up there with Beyonce's strongest work, I would say, on the kind of three or four plays that I've had today. Yes. Uh, but I do enjoy it. Um, one, of the, one of the things that kind of leaps out at me are the two samples that she's used in the track. So uh, there's a big walloping sample of Robin S's 1993 house hit, Show Me Love. Mm-hmm. Um, which which I remember back in the day watching Top of the Pops as a as a young kid, and there's also um, a sample of Big Frida's track Explode from uh, 2014, and um, I think that is quite a telling sample. That so uh, Big Frida uh, for people that don't know it is she's a, a diva, LGBTQ icon, and the kind of mainstream face of this genre of music from New Orleans called bounce music mm-hmm. um, and she's kind of known for delivering really kind of high energy um, very like body positive and a lot of the messaging in her tracks and very kind of LGBTQ positive as well um, and she, she featured in Beyonce's formation video and I think just the fact that she is uh, featured so heavily that, that sample is featured so heavily in the track. I think that's really kind of signposting what Beyonce is trying to get across in this track and who she's trying to reach in this track in terms yes. of, um, you know, and feeling empowered and feeling like you're not alone kind of thing. Um, so I think I think that's probably the most kind of, that's the kind of biggest statement here almost, rather than the actual lyrics that are in the track, uh, which I found relatively boilerplate by Beyonce's standards. Oh, really? Um, I thought there was... Um, there were a few lyrics in here that I thought were kind of worth um, analysing a little bit, actually, because I think there's there's some stuff in here that makes me think a little bit about um, about lockdown and the end of lockdown and, and, and you know, what's the lyric in the, in the rap in the middle? You're outside, but you're not that outside. Um, and there's a, there's a lyric about being outside and wearing a mask as well. So I kind of thought, is there a sort of lyrical touch of, of kind of lockdown and post-COVID and stuff. Did you find that? Um, I can see that. I can see that. I think some just some of the lyrics are just a little bit, they're, they're so kind of vague and universal that they don't, I don't know, they, they, they don't feel contemporary to me. Yeah. Um, or unique to the situation that we're finding ourselves in now. But yeah, yeah I, I, I can I can see what you're saying there. I guess that the, the track itself is, uh, what's the best word to use? Homage, pastiche of um of a particular era of house music from what yeah th- 30 years ago with the piano samples and everything. I was actually really surprised on my first listen by just how slavish it was to that um to that genre and how you know how it was really sitting in that kind of big piano early 90s house music yeah. type thing. Yeah, I was really surprised by that to be honest. It took me took me off guard. A few folk online have noticed that um, Drake as well, who released a surprise album a couple of weeks ago or last week, has also been going in a kind of house direction as well. So it may just be that this is what's, you know, the tastemakers are kind of what they're interested in at the moment, possibly. I think that's right, yeah. I think there's a lot of it about. Um, 
being me, I can't help but feel that there's that she's maybe been listening to Salt as well because they they've got they're kind of inspired by nineties house a little bit and the kind of the soulful vocals and some of the gospel inflected backing vocals as well. Yeah. Uh, also that kind of stark black sleeve that's that's coming with the, the track as well with a number on it. I don't know all that, all of that kind of screams salt to me, but I might be wrong. But I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if she's been listening to some of Inflows productions. I wouldn't be surprised by that. So I, I do I do think it's I do think it's a very well produced track. I think she sounds good on it. Um, I find, I do find this, the chorus refrains a little bit basic and repetitious. Um, and I can't help but hear that sample, uh, the, the the big Frida sample, and think of when Fat Man Scoop was guesting on every single chat hit like a few years ago, <laughs> um, which wasn't was which wasn't a period that I was particularly fond of. Uh, that, that's that's kind of what, what it makes me think of. I know I know it's, it's better than that, but it just makes me think of that. Fat Man's group and the Crooklyn Clan, I believe. Am I right? Okay, I'll take your word for it. That's, is that not what he yells on everything? Fat Man Scoop and the Crooklyn Clan? Is really? that not what he yells on everything? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, 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 did, I did like this, and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what this track did as a single for me, which I think was probably, hopefully, its intention, was, um, you know, on Lemonade, right, where the first single that came off that as a surprise was Formation. So there was no announcement of a new Beyonce record. There was just this big drop of this song, Formation. And Formation is an absolute banger of a track. Like it's an, an absolute, you know, statement of intent and, and power and so on. Um, and it came out of nowhere. But actually, and its position on Lemonade as well as the last track, it did always feel to me like she released it as a single because it was a great single. But it didn't really fit very well into the mm-hmm. overall mood of Lemonade. And so that's why it ended up basically just stuck on the end. Um, and I wonder if this this track indicates that the, the, the record Renaissance, which is coming, is, if this is going to be more of, more of a piece and will make sense more rather as a whole, you know, as part of the album, as, as the flow of the record, rather than just as a single. Um, I wonder. But then... Why would you release it as a single if it's not a, a wholly effective single? It's a good track. Like I, I, I enjoy it, but I, yeah, it's a I, good track. I'm with you on the on the. You know, I don't. I'm not. I don't love it yet. You know, and I'm not. I'm not loving it, but uh, it certainly has certainly has made me think today for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, and um, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure I would welcome a whole record in this style. Uh, oh, I mean, the, the number no. six. Number six is on the cover, so I'm assuming this is track six of a bigger thing. So it's going to be interesting to to hear what what the rest of the record's like. Uh, but there's already videos uh, surfacing featuring footage of people, uh, like particularly women and members of the LGBTQ community, just kind of um, doing their best catwalk walk, just mm-hmm. strutting along, empowered, uh, set to the sound of this track. So it's definitely kind of striking a chord with the beehive already. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, who are we to who are we to argue with that? Um, cool. So that's the new Beyonce track, um, and I think we're going to have a look at something a little bit different now. Andrew, is that right? Yeah. Next track is by um, a psych outfit from Brighton called Wax Machine. <laughs>
that was Wax Machine, who are an entirely new outfit to me. Never heard of them before. Um, do you want to give us some of their their significant details? Yeah, absolutely. So Wax Machine is the project of a Brazilian-born, Italian-English-raised artist called Lau Ro. Um, and they have a kind of uh, revolving door of collaborators that come in and help out with the machine at different times. Uh, I was a really big fan of their 2020 record, which was called Earth Song of Silence. Mm. Um, which came out on a record label called Beyond Beyond is Beyond, uh, which is a kind of like psych label that I was a big fan of. And I was actually kind of kind of going to ask a question to listeners. Does anybody know what's happened to this record label? Because they were one of my kind of like favourite psych labels, uh, but they haven't just haven't released anything um, in like two years now. And they haven't done a post in social media in like a year. Oh. And yeah, I'm just wondering what's happened to them. I don't know if they were like... Uh, a casualty of COVID or what, but I'd be really sad if they've just stopped making music and stopped releasing music. Um, that's a kind of side note, really. But yeah, if anybody's got any information on that, I'd be interested to hear about it. Uh, but yeah, Wax Machine now are on Batov Records, um, and I think that's a really good home for them. They they release a lot of kind of global psych stuff. Um, they released that, that Satellites record that we talked about. Oh, yes. Uh, early in the year or... Um, so yeah, so I think that's a good home for them. And um, this record, I mean, the, the previous record was produced by somebody from Kikagako Moyo, who we've also had in the pod. Ah, yes, uh, but, yes, I remember. So, so it's, it's all it's all in that kind of um, that kind of field, if you like. But uh, this one is self-produced, and it finds Lau really kind of leaning into his Brazilian heritage. Um, so, so there's a lot of kind of uh, tropicalia influences across the record. There's, there's a there's a cover of a famous Brazilian tropicalia track uh, on the album elsewhere as well. Like, and, listen, Andrew. Like, I I know what tropicalia means, obviously, right? But <laughs> if you could just uh, tell our listeners as well, they'd appreciate it. Okay. Yeah. It's basically it's basically the the kind of the music that came out of Brazil in the sixties. That, that was kind of incorporating, um, you know, influences of bossa nova and samba music, but also psychedelic music. And it had a, a really kind of um, strong political dimension to it as well. So it was kind of addressing a lot of the kind of political struggles that was going on in Brazil at the time. So it was, yeah, so embracing, you know, you're tri- tripping out, but also having that kind of political consciousness to it and dancing at the same time. But um, a lot oh, of really interesting, a lot of really kind of interesting apps came out of that that period that have been kind of uh, rediscovered over time. So I'm thinking of people like Osmutantes and Catano uh, Veloso, Gal Costa, these kinds of people. Um, so yeah, so Wax Machines kind of taken inspiration from them. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say that on this that about this track in particular. This is more. I don't know, it's like in a standard psych rock track, I guess. And the guitar is is kind of more prominent on this track than, than maybe some of the other tracks. They've talked about this track. I've got a quote here. He's talked about this track being a meditation on the cycles of nature, the dance of duality, and the swing of the cosmic pendulum. 
Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. Oh, dear. What did you think of it? I have to say, now, you know me, I do like to be honest about these things. Yeah. I, I, ma- I didn't massively enjoy this one, I have to say. Okay. Um, when you say it was self-produced, um, I, th- I sort of think you can tell, in a way. Like, it, do- it does sound like... I mean, I know that one of the genre markers of of, of Psych is is that things will sound dishevelled and um, and so on. But I just the overall balance of sounds in this was just it just felt very thin. The whole thing just felt very very thin, as if even though I was listening to it through headphones uh, via Spotify, as if I was listening to it on like the worst tiniest record player ever. Um, that's maybe going a bit far, but that was that was a sort of general feeling that I was I was kind of thinking about I just I thought oh this just feels a bit thin like it's just like it's got no kind of modern sort of mastering stuff going on here to, to add width to the sound um the consistent acoustic guitar I thought was fine and the sort of squelchy electric guitar I thought was was fine too the bass was just which just wasn't wasn't present wasn't prominent I just wanted a bit more of that to kind of hold the hold the whole thing together and there's a portion of this track, like about three quarters of the way through, where it's in the we're definitely in wig out territory. Um, mm-hmm. Not a full blown wig out, you know. The, the hairpiece is still relatively attached, but it's 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 on the way it's on the way off. I would say at this point, um, and it's ju- it just felt a little bit like I personally felt hard to listen to because there were so many elements all moving at different times and not all kind of syncing up with each other it just to me that's just something i find chaotic to listen to and not chaotic in a way that i like chaotic in a way that i kind of go ah, that's hard to that's hard to process so um i respect the uh, i respect the the act and i respect like what, what they're doing and um i watched the music video which is pure weird by the way and really cool um you said earlier on you used the phrase in their field and I mean if you watch the music video they are literally in a field <laughs> um, running about with someone's wearing a, a, like a, a headpiece that's the shape of a star so mm. you know I don't know what to make of that really um, but it's it's cool it's a cool project and a cool aesthetic and, and all that kind of stuff and I, I defer to your wisdom on, on this type of this genre of music because this is definitely your more your taste than mine so to I'll, I'll just finish off my critique of this track by just saying um that i'm not a massive fan of this type of thing in any track not specifically this one um so it's not necessarily a, a specific criticism of this track but it's sort of my feelings about the it's my taste basically rather than anything else i think that's i think that's pretty fair i think is it i don't know no that's completely completely fair absolutely Sometimes I feel with this type of stuff, it's like, you know, am I actually really enjoying the track or do I just like a lot of the, the components and a lot of things that they're pulling from? Um, I'm not sure this is the most kind of memorable track. And I, 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 I think it is kind of deliberately trying to ape the production styles of those earlier records rather than trying to be, you know, do something like maybe like something like Kevin Parker would do where he's, he's using modern techniques to... You know, yeah. He's, yeah, to, to create something that's that's a kind of modern update of of a, of the psych that he loves. Whereas with this one, you, they're almost trying to just be it, re, recreate it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In a way. 
He, he what's that thing you do when you um you like buy an old cabinet and you like sand it down and you repaint yeah. exactly distressed it or upcycling yeah 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 the Tame Impala thing is kind of upcycling of of older things that they they like and of kind of you know use use the old equipment but apply some modern kind of techniques to recording and stuff and you end up in a very interesting place yeah I do feel like this was just a little bit like this sounds like it was recorded in the 60s and I don't think in a good way do you know what I mean um, right. the sort of negatives of, of that approach uh, were, were on show for me for me of course um, but yeah well you know more power to them and uh, let's see what let's see what becomes of this uh, this record Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. So, anybody that's interested, uh, the album is out on July the first. So you can wrap your ears around it. Very good. Okay, so that takes us to our fourth new track of the day, um, which is by Muna. Are you saying Muna or Muna? Muna. I was saying Muna, but that's not really based on anything. That's just <laughs> <laughs> it's based on a feeling. Uh, yeah. Well, Muna, Luna, Muna. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. I don't know. That's true. Um okay, so uh Muna with the track Anything But Me.
So Muna, do do have an album on the way? Am I right in saying that, Andrew? They do, they do. Uh, but I think it's kind of quite pointedly um, the case that it's a, the self-titled album. So right. it's uh, it's their third record, but they've they've made it a self-titled this time, which suggests that they feel that this is some kind of definitive statement for them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so if I could give a bit of background to them. So they are an LA trio. Uh, they started the band while attending the University of Southern Carolina. And uh, upon arrival, they were labelled as the Gay Heim by the music press, which seems a, a bit <laughs> <laughs> derogatory to just everybody involved. Um, and they toured with Harry Styles in 2017. Uh, and they were part of a they were they were on a record a major record label at that stage. Were Heim busy that night? <laughs> it must have been, must have been. Uh, but um yeah, but actually uh after the after the second record came out, uh they were dropped by the their major label uh and were scooped up by Phoebe Bridger's uh record label, which is called Satisfactory Records. Um, so, so that's the label that this uh, new record is coming out on. Um, and I was listening to this track and the other tracks that have uh, dropped so far from the album, and my wife said two things to me. She said, "This is a little bit pop for you," mm. and she said, "This sounds like Shirley Twain." <laughs> and uh, I think she's right in both counts, but uh, I don't have a problem with that. Um, yeah, I, I can't help but be drawn in uh, to the massive hooks and the glistening production on on these uh, t- taster tracks. I think they're really, really good, really strong. Okay, well, I like my brain's a bit befuddled by this. I have to say, Andrew, because I really like Haim. I really do. I, I think they're a, an amazing pop group, and I think. Uh, and pop, stroke rock, soft rock group, whatever you want to, to say. And the part of my brain that's occupied by Haim, um, this Muna track wants to try and get in there and it wants to be occupied, mm-hmm. occupying the same space. Yeah. And I'm just kind of thinking, why? Like, what's what does this add to the world that isn't already occupied in that space? I will say what I also thought about this track as well was that... Um, it made me think of the 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 soundtrack to the movie Drive. I don't know if you're familiar with that from 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know the old uh, Night Call by Love Fox and Kavinsky um, being the sort yeah. Of no, the I one. can definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah, and Cliff Martinez doing the rest of the rest of the tracks. So I think there's something about the the stylings of the instrumentation of this that put me in mind of that. But once the vocal comes in, this this just sounds like Haim to me. As soon as the vocal arrives, I'm just like, ah. To the point where during my first listen, um, when I was I was doing something else as I was listening, I thought, oh, is that is this time? That's actually what I asked myself. Um so yeah, it's good, but it's ultimately a little bit like the last track, it feels a little uh, oh, derivative is the wrong word, but similar to something that we're familiar with. Um, but the thing that it's familiar with is something which is which is current, which is going on at the moment. Um, so again, I just sort of thought I like something like this already, and I'm not sure where this sort of where this sort of fits in. Um, it is very hooky and is very hummable, so I'll give it that for sure. 
Enjoy. I did yeah. enjoy the track. I did, I'm coming across as if I didn't like it. I just sort of it, it, it raised wider questions for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. I think there's an undeniable turn of the century pop influence at play here. So yeah, as I say, uh, Shania Twain. Um, the, the video for this it, uh, finds them kind of doing a coordinated dance routine as a la like something like NSYNC or something like that. Mm. Um, there's a really brilliant track uh, called Home By Now, which sounds a little bit like the Coyote Ugly soundtrack, something like oh. Leanne Grimes would do. Wow. Um, and they very much kind of gave the game away as well by covering Britney Spears' Sometimes as well. So that was like featured <laughs> on the recent Fire Island film. So yeah, so so I, I think they are pulling from that, from, from that either. But as I say, I, I do think that the songs are really quite strong. And I think that they, they, they will be like some of the biggest earworms of the year. And they kind of present themselves as an indie group, but they do have this massive pop appeal as well. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can see what happens with uh, them. break through in that way. Yeah, well, the the, the cover, the, the record cover looks like... I mean, if you told me this is a track from the year 2000 and that's the cover for it, I would have just gone, oh, yeah, sure, no problem, because it's really mm-hmm. like that sort of very overexposed photography and even the like the, the, the typeface that they've used in the little Muna logo, um, which is very simple and small and in, inside two boxes. Even their fashion choices as well on the ph- photography, it all do, it looks a bit like a Spice Girls um, cover in a way. Yeah, um, it's got that kind of thing as well. And the the I don't know her name obviously, but the the performer in the bottom right there, she's wearing something that looks like something that a Spice Girl would wear as well, um, sporty spice. So it, it is it is kind of that. That's probably quite on trend as well. Overall, nineties is is in and. Late nineties and early two thousands fashion. It's 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 what's hot right now. I think. Seems God, to be. It what seems what to do be. I bloody know, Andrew? I don't know. <laughs> Is it? I don't even know. I'm trying my best here. Seems to be. Uh, yeah. So they've they've talked about wanting to write sexy, happy songs. Uh, I've got a quote here. The world is still so mind-bogglingly oppressive for many in our community that it remains radical to be joyful. It's the most pop, punk rock thing that you can do. So that's kind of where they're coming from with it. And uh, no, I'm all for it. To be honest, I'm really enjoying these tracks. Yeah, well, it puts it's, it, it puts a positive into the world. I think this track. It's not. There's nothing negative about it. It's very enjoyable, very hummable. Um, I just think it's maybe a bit. I don't know if derivative is the right word, but it's ultimately what I'm what I'm saying. So I'll, I'll go with it. It's a bit derivative of other things. Um, I'm not sure what was new about it, but um, but it's fun, and they do seem like an interesting act. So. Um, yeah, let's see what happens to them. As you say, there's a potential there for this to be a potential big crossover song or a big crossover act. So let's uh, let's not prejudge it too much and see what happens. Right. So on to our uh, final track of the day. Now, I do believe Andrew, this is a bit different. Am I right? Yep, that's definitely fair. <laughs> so this is Naima Bok, and the track is called Toll.
so that was our last track for today. That was Naima Bok, and the track was called Toll. And Ian, I can tell you that the name Naima means mm. tranquil or pleasantness, uh, which I think is quite apt. Yeah, I, I would say this is both tranquil and pleasant, I would say. Definitely. Yep. So uh, Naima was another person that spent her early childhood in Brazil. So she, uh, yeah, she lived in Sao Paulo with her Greek English mother and Brazilian father. And then she moved to South London when she was seven. And she was co-founder and bassist in uh, the four-piece band Goat Girl, um, who are, yeah, they've got a, a real kind of cult following. They've got a big kind of sexy music following as well. Yes. Uh, but she amicably parted ways with them uh, after the release of their first album uh, back in 2018. Uh, so she she claimed that she kind of needed her own space and room to express her own individuality. Mm-hmm. And um, she spent a little bit of time, you know, kind of, you know, they're taking that time for herself, I guess. She, she talked about getting into gardening. Uh, she's currently doing a BA in archaeology. And there is something kind of earthier and more elemental uh, about the work that she's doing here than the stuff that she was doing with Goat Girl, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and this is coming out on Sub Pop Records. And uh, yeah, it finds her kind of uh, going into that kind of relaxed lilt of the kind of the, the kind of Brazilian bossa nova. Some of the some of the the other tracks in the, that I've heard so far has got that kind of sh- bossa nova shimmer to them. And there's also a kind of touch of the Nikos, I would say, about the kind of the folk influences here, as well as some of the kind of progressive elements of the Canterbury scene, um, or the kind of like early 70s, so people like Soft Machine and Kevin Ayers and Traffic and people like that, uh, that I really enjoy. Yeah, I I think this track is absolutely beautiful, to be honest. Um, And I think it's the type of track where... um, I've talked, I have now talked a couple of tracks in a row about, in fact, three three tracks in a row about things being a little derivative. Um, and uh, maybe this is as well, but I think what this might have is this is a, a masterful piece of songwriting. Um, and there's no attempt here, I don't think, to have any kind of like, you know, vocal like acrobatics or, or there's nothing super showy about this. No, this is a to quote to quote the to quote Radiohead. Get your bingo dauber at the uh, at the ready. This is everything in its right place here, and I mean that from a production point of view. Yeah, um, from from a from a songwriting point of arrangement view, arrangement point of view, arrangement. Yeah, it, everything's really really good. There's a couple of interesting flourishes and touches, um, where the the flute at the end, which is just kind of fluttering and billowing around, um fits very well with the mood of the track despite being a little bit at odds with some of the um the timing and so on it's it's a really interesting piece of flute playing that um and there's also there's another instrument which i think is i think might be some kind of violin or something like that which has been kind of digitally mucked around with or it's being played through a pedal of some kind and there's a sort of delay effect on it as well so there is there is yeah. an attempt to do like progressive things here as well um, even though it is kind of in a comfortable folk place, um, the drums bring a kind of waltziness 
Um, I wouldn't be against referring to that as bossa nova, certainly, but it's just a, a waltzy kind of feel to what otherwise was feeling like a pretty straight folk song up to that point. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the, the, but it's but it's light. It's with a lightness of touch as well. Um, solid, solid percussionist. Whoever that is, very good drummer. Um, so everything on this track, I think, is well judged. You know, and everything's there for a reason. Um, and no, it's not massively inventive and you know avant-garde or anything like that. But it just feels it feels right to me. And it made me think of um, a track we had on the podcast moons and moons ago that Jake Xerxes Fussel um, where again there was nothing massively showy or or anything but everything just felt really well chosen and you know well recorded and well arranged and well mastered and just felt good to listen to and I would definitely put this in that bracket as well yeah I completely agree just uh, a really classy um, well thought out beautiful track I think yeah, yeah absolutely and uh, there's been two or three tracks so far from her debut LP uh, that's called Giant Palm and it's out on July the 1st as I say on Sub Pop Records so I'm really looking forward to, to hearing that in full yeah it feels like a, it feels like a, such a beautiful track um, that's one of all the of all the things we've, we've listened to this week <clears throat> including Beyonce uh, Naima Bok is something is an artist that I, I do want to definitely follow up on because that just felt so pleasant to listen to um just before we started recording there incidentally um again letting our listeners in on on how the sausage is made when andrew and i are recording these we take a wee pause between each track and collect our thoughts and all that stuff and uh, i just gave this a final like quick like a skim through the track just to confirm that it was as good as i thought it was and, <laughs> and it is like that's that's why I was listening to it again. I was like, am I am I kind of overvaluing this? I don't think I am. It's really bloody good. So no, it's good. Um, yeah. So and it love a lovely record sleeve as well, which looks like uh, you know stained glass window, which I which I do like. Um, okay, and that's our new music um, for the week. So our regular listeners will be aware that I'm about to now kind of mark time a little bit as we get ready for the vinyl world to give Andrew a second to just organise his notes and think about what he's going to say um, you're always super prepared anyway Andrew I think you, you like always know what you're going to say about these vinyl world tracks but um, but just before we, we dip into that I think now might be a good moment for us to mention that um, we love uh, when you guys get in touch with us um, we love giving you kind of shout outs and chatting about your, your comments and so on. It, it makes the podcast worth doing for certain. Um, we've had some really interesting uh, messages on social media this week from from some artists as well and from some from some listeners and so on. And hopefully that'll lead us down some some interesting new paths over the summer, uh, the summertime. Um, so that's great. If you feel that you can contribute financially to the the recording of the podcast and to the, to its ongoing uh, life, then then feel free to do that at um, www.buymeacoffee.com slash weheardwonders. Um, even just buying us one coffee really helps towards the the running costs of the podcast. So we love it when people can do that. Um, but genuinely, just listening and, and commenting and stuff is is more than enough. So please keep please continue to do that. Um, and that leads us now to our final part of our podcast this week, which is the vinyl word. Andrew, take it away. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, so the record that I've chosen to focus on for this week's vinyl word. Um, it kind of links into uh, that Naima Bok track 
and that it's kind of it is from that era uh, that, that we talked about that kind of Canterbury scene. Um, so, so this is an album, and and I mean this is, this was an album that that I've just purchased this week. So there was the second drop of uh, Record Store Day this week, and uh, I thought that the a lot a lot of the the records that were being dropped were ones that just weren't ready uh, in time for the first drop, just because of like manufacturing issues. So it was kind of kind of quite like a kind of bore, boring reason why these ones were held back, and a little bit un, uninspired, really. I'd say in terms of a, a selection. But this was one that really that I really wanted to make sure that I got. So this is a record called uh, Nice to Meet Christine, uh, which is the only album by somebody called Chrissy Harwood. Um, and it was re- recorded and released in 1970. Um, and it features a kind of who's who of people that were um, incredible session musicians uh, in the UK around that time. So people from Traffic, people from uh, the band that went on to be the Strobs, people from King Crimson, uh, people that were in Joe Cocker's band. Um, so all manner of people that were in Yes as well. So just all manner of um, you know incredible musical talent were involved in bringing Chrissy's uh, vision to life. So she she became known. Um, for her performances in Rick Wakeman's uh, pub in London, which is mm. called the Brewer's Droop, um, <laughs> and she would she would perform with this kind of unknown, unnamed uh, blues folk rock group, um, and yeah, just deliver these kind of quite raucous, quite um, spellbinding performances, and um, it caught the attention of somebody called Mark Plummer, who was a music journalist. And who would eventually become Chrissy's husband, uh, but but yeah, he was completely taken with with her and her music, and he he decided to kind of use his contacts to try and get a record contract, um, and then they released, as I said, just this one album, and it didn't. It's one of those ones that didn't really do anything at the time, but over the years became a real kind of collector's item, and we go for like hundreds of pounds, um, until it. Until it was finally reissued. Um, I think it was Finders Keepers, Sandy Votel's label. They initially um, reissued it about 10 years ago. And then this is a, a brand new uh, reissue that's just come out. And I'm really pleased to now have a copy of it. And yeah, I just think it's a really lovely kind of progressive folk, um, slightly kind of witchy record, but it's slightly jazzy in places as well. Uh, there's, there's an excellent version of Cosby Still Nash track, uh, Wooden Ships. And the track that I've chosen to play is uh, one that was written by Dave Mason from Traffic called Crying to be Heard, which is just a really, really lovely track, I think. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that's what I've chosen to play us out with this week. Excellent, Well, Thank you for that lovely introduction to this track, uh, Andrew. So I guess the only thing that's left for us to say this week is... Thanks to everybody for listening and we shall see you soon. See you next week.
Play was all your own. 